Welcome to Light Warrior Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Karen Can, author of the number one best-selling book, Sensitivity is Your Superpower, How to Harness Your Gifts, Fulfill Your Purpose, and Create a Life of Joy. And if you are a sensitive soul and you're new to our channel, I'd love for you to hit subscribe. And uh, if you don't already have a copy of my freebie, which is called the Sensitive Soul Empowerment Guide, the three ways of navigating your way to more peace, positivity, and personal power, you can get it at sensitivesoulguide.com. It's absolutely free for you to download. Now, today I have a very special guest. And uh, how I found out about the special guest was through my staff, actually. Um, my um, One of my staff, she said, you gotta listen to this guy. <laughs> she said he's talking. She's he's talking about the CSF, and I thought, well, that's interesting because I'm a medical doctor, right? And I'm thinking, well, what do I know about the CSF, and what don't I know? But it had to do with spirituality and consciousness, and I was like, oh, I'm really interested now, because here's the thing: over the last few years, as I've having these communications with Source, helping people with their self healing uh, process. Uh, some communications have come through a lot, actually, around water. But not just any water, water in the body and uh, the crystalline um, structure, communication. Um, you know, some of you have remembered that I interviewed Gerald Pollock, the, the uh, fourth phase of water, and asked him questions that he couldn't answer because <laughs> it was more spiritual, but it was very entertaining. Um, and uh, yeah, there's just so many things we don't understand about the water in our bodies. And here, this was specific to CSF. So, um, so our guest today is Dr. Mara Zapatera. And he's an expert in this field talking about the CSF. It's not just about the liquid that surrounds your brain and just washes it over or just takes toxins away. That's kind of more or less what I was told in medical school. And, you know, we would poke holes into, you know, the spine. I know it sounds terribly uh, violent, but, you know, sometimes people were really sick and we'd poke holes in the spine, drain the CSF a little bit so we can see if there's an infection or the inflammation or you know, um, something that we, you know, try to kill with antibiotics. Uh, but now we're like, wow, this is a lot more than just a bunch of water, you know, and fluid uh, just washing over the brain. Um, so we're going to talk about breath work today. We're going to talk about consciousness, um, how, how that all relates, source connection, because again, some of the, you know, communications I've had is, is this uh, when we have so-called ascension upgrades or when the whole planet seems to shift energetically that like energy can come down through the crown and of course that's going to affect uh the csf and or vice versa i'm super curious of what our guest thinks about that so let me tell you a little bit more about him so uh dr maro zaptera obtained his md phd from harvard he's a board certified in physical medicine rehab with a focus on optimizing human performance increasing awareness and decreasing suffering he's been practicing mindfulness since 1998 and teaching mindfulness uh, to his patients uh, with chronic pain since 2018, he's the director of multidisciplinary care at Sinovation Medical Group. He has led the Awakening Awareness Program for the Emerging Sciences Foundation, which you can find on YouTube. He's published numerous scientific papers and medical book chapters on the CSF, disability and pain management. Um, he's also published uh, some books, so we may have to have him back for this because I'm super curious about this. Um, uh, books for children, including I Am, All One, and All Love. Uh, every time I say those three words, I just get chills in my body. So that's so awesome. And he's also published Close Your Eyes, What Do You See? with his uh, then seven-year-old son, which is a story about imagination and intention. And we'll link some of the the links to, to some of his books below uh, wherever you're watching this or listening to this. 
And so he's continued to help people with chronic pain investigate uh, the CSF, the cerebral spinal fluid, and creating the, integrating this research and the whole consciousness field. So this is super exciting um, for us. Um, so Dr. Zabatera, thank you so much for being on the show. We're really excited to have you here today. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah, my pleasure. So tell us about you. Obviously, uh, you know, you're very learned. So <laughs> you don't only just have an MD, but you have an MD and PhD and from Harvard, no less. So how does somebody like with that background kind of get into what you're into now? <laughs> um, <clears throat> it's a great question. Well, I was already sort of interested, even as a even as a child, um, about about who we were as, as as human beings and what this you know physical body, how this physical body came to be. In essence, um, I was very interested in like development and you know how an egg, when it gets fertilized with a sperm, starts to just undergo this process, and it just seemed like totally like there's I'm like there's no way that 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 like it's just all physical and, and, um, and there's gotta be some, like some, uh, information that we yet don't understand or have tapped into. Um, and, you know, scientifically, um, you, you know, you talk about sensitive souls, many people probably from who are sensitive souls probably have a sense of that, uh, energy, but, you know, we don't have the instruments yet uh, that, you know, from a scientific perspective that, that, that can like measure it like an x-ray does or, you know, an MRI. We're getting there. And uh, there's definitely people like myself who are interested in, in you know, getting research to, to, to find those instruments. But I also say, you know, it's your own sensitive soul is the instrument. So you are the instrument. Um, and, you know, if we have 10 million sensitive souls and we have 10 million instruments that can relay this information and relay this message. Um, and, and so, you know, just a, a really beautiful thing. Um, so I was always interested in this sort of idea or, you know, this question of how do we become who we are and, and what is it and what happens when we die and, 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 and things like that. And then also, you know, how our mind and how our mind and bodies interact and how our heart and brain interacts and, 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 you know, it, I grew up in California and so it was sort of like, oh, well, you, you know, you go and you learn medicine or science or something like that, um, which is fine. Uh, but my mom always had a, um, a stint towards like, uh, myofascial work, uh, shiatsu, massage, acupuncture, um, sort of Chinese medicine, looking at meridians, looking at energy points. And there were just sort of a, you know, just sort of made sense to me. Um, and so when I had like growing up when I was a kid and got injured uh, playing sports or mountain biking and I had back pain, you know, we, I'd go to an acupuncturist and, 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 and look at like stressors in my life that that occurred. Not only was I involved in an injury, but what was what was sort of mentally prone in my life that would um, that would open up my body to then be injured in essence. Um, and um and a lot of it was also when I met my, my, my wife, who was very interested in healing, um, and we decided to, you know, kind of, in essence, our soul partners decided to partner up and, and 
be together um, and, and create children together. And, and we have a similar vision of essentially, you know, how do we work with people to help decrease suffering and improve quality of life um, from a holistic, multidimensional perspective. Um, she's definitely more, let's say, uh, she does craniosacral therapy, biodynamic craniosacral therapy, and she works with children. Um, and so uh, she's definitely more, um, let's say, biodynamic in nature in her work than I am. Um, but yet it all, you know, everything informs everything else. So it, you know, it is what it is. Um, when I got to medical school, for instance, I knew that I would be learning anatomy and physiology, but I remember flying from LA to Boston and, you know, the book I wanted to read was Carolyn Mace's Anatomy of the Spirit to understand, you know, what is, what, what are other views? I was going to understand the Western view of the body, but I needed to understand other views of the body in terms of energetically, um, you know, what were other views of, of 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 the body so i could get a more broad uh understanding of it and you know at, at, at the end of the day that's really what it is is just it's just an inquiry of who we are and who i am and who we all are and that drove my um you know that drove a lot of my relationships with people that drove a lot of my um my interest in going to medicine and and doing research um and then continuing on the path with my wife to still investigating our true nature and ourselves and and who we are and and are is there any way to you know be totally accepting and in the flow of the present moment but yet uh, work on intentions and our energetic bodies such that we can maybe is there any way to intentionally manifest something and we're you know we're kind of in that in that you know an n of one uh process at this time which is fun and i you know i kind of think that's what life is about to be honest right i like that the end of one you know because people these days are throwing the word science around on social media like you know where's the science what's the science follow the science don't follow the science the science is corrupt blah 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 like you know and then at the end of the day it's what's our personal experience it is our life after all and if we truly are creators then that actually holds a lot of weight it isn't necessarily about what everybody else thinks or is experiencing exactly. N of one, N of one. Yeah. And so, you know, so I felt like in order to um, like one of my things is sort of like using language to be able to communicate to numerous groups. Right. So if you want to talk about the solar plexus, well, we can talk to the solar plexus to people who work with with the chakras and, and, and energy healers. But we can also talk to the solar plexus to neurosurgeons. Right. Mm. And so um, and so now we have the language. Can we can we now use the language that now we can get the energy healers to discuss with the neuroscientists and the, and, and, and the neurosurgeons? Right. Um, could there be could there be an opening in people's minds that, you know, maybe a plexus of um, that maybe a plexus of, uh, of of neurons of the nucleus of the neurons could actually have some sort of energetic quality to it that people could actually sense in the body. Um, is that totally out of the realm of of the way that neurons work or the way that energy is perceived? And when you you know when I when I kind of put it that way, it's sort of like, 
Well, no. Okay. Well, there. That's what energetically then we're feeling as the solar plexus, not only internally, but maybe do you think that there could be somebody who puts a hand, which is also a a measurement tool, let's say, and actually can feel the energy uh, emerging from somebody's solar plexus, you know? And so you kind of have discussions that way. Um, where we know that we could put EEGs on somebody's head and monitor the electrical activity of the brain, right? Right. Um, Magnetic, um, um, little, you know, magnetic uh, uh, electrodes for the heart. So why could somebody not be able to do that with the, with the, with the hand for the solar plexus? Just, you know, and and so those are the types of dialogue to kind of, Mm. in in my opinion, to sort of, you know, to bridge everybody, to bring everybody together um, and not have these, these separations. And then also understand how science was truly done, right? When you spend five years in a lab or longer, um, added up with all my undergraduate work was probably, you know, nine years in a lab um, doing hard, you know, doing sort of hardcore science or, you know, all that stuff, you understand how it's done. And so you don't see it as a stagnant process. It's not, it's right. not across the science. The number of scientific papers that have been written that were are wrong is huge. <laughs> yeah, um, thank and you so for therefore, that. like, you know, the number of people who have been investigated for scientific fraud at Harvard, now at Stanford, the president, you know, the president is being investigated for, um, you know, oh, I didn't know that my grad student, you know, copied that image or whatever it might be. Um, it, 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 it's enormous. And, 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 you know, I think they, I think some, I think there was actually a science paper that said, you know, over 50% of the experiments that are published in peer reviewed journals cannot be reproduced. Um, And so you understand how difficult a it is, um, how set and setting is so important um, and how these discoveries, right. Trust the science really comes about. And then you start to, and then I think when you understand it's sort of like, Oh, well, we can be open to then a discourse, a dialogue yes. of, of a process that's occurring as opposed to, well, this paper was written in 93 and this is what that said. And therefore we have to, well, you know, how much has evolved and changed and, 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 you know, uh, as we do get more sensitive tools, what were we really assaying back then compared to now, et cetera, et cetera. So I kind of had an understanding of, all right. I get now I get how science is done and uh, and then, you know, be able to then be able to investigate the science and, and, and say, you know, every new paper starts with a new hypothesis. So for somebody to make a hypothesis, right, and then you have to say, do we have the tools that we can measure whatever we're trying to measure with? What's the um, what's what's the effect size? Right? If you have a tiny mm-hmm. effect size, but over time it. It, it, it gets, it increases, you know, somebody would say, well, would you want something that ha- has an effect size of 1%? Well, in clinical medicine, we probably say, ah, it doesn't do anything, right? Well, it's so hard to study an effect size of 1% because you're not going to, you might not see a change in three months. Right. And, but over 30 years, wow, I don't know, 1% seems like you could skyrocket that. And, you know, if intention has even a 1% effect on uh, manifesting something, then why not, why not bring that part of the equation in, in? So kind of went on a little bit of a tangent there. I, no, no, no. I, I love it. I love it. Cause you know, I've got that, the medical background. And when you said 1%, I, I, the first thing that popped up was sort of like the flu shot, you know, <laughs> you know, like yeah. in terms of, uh, you know, relative versus an absolute risk, right? Like people are, 
are shown the relative risk, but not the absolute risk. So they go, oh my gosh, I have to get my flu shot because it's going to save my life, you know? And it's like, uh, well, actually, the absolute risk is actually really, really tiny. <laughs> and also, we don't measure, like I have patients uh, or clients now uh, who are, you know, have been on multiple medications for many, 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 many years. And, you know, maybe somebody else says, well, I, I don't want to take you off the medication. Uh, because of XYZ. And when I ask, I said, well, ask your doctor if they have any scientific data or evidence about being on um, a proton pump inhibitor for 20 years. Or maybe being on the proton pump inhibitor and the cholesterol medication and the diabetes medicine simultaneously. Show me that paper. Well, it doesn't exist, right? You and I know it doesn't exist. <laughs> so this whole science thing, like I love your perspective of it, it being that fluid and being open uh, some of the work I've really uh, appreciated is like Gary Schwartz, some of his work on Reiki and different energy healing and, and uh, Beverly Rubick and the whole, um, you know, the, the phantom leaf thing. I, I'm not sure who did that. Multiple people did. But I just thought that was so fascinating about how there could be this uh, this structure of the leaf that's light when there is no leaf. Right. Like that just blew me away the first time uh, that I saw it. Now, I'm curious, being California, you guys uh, have to say a little bit more open in general than those of us on the East Coast <laughs> about certain things. So how was it for you going through medical school and residency with this, hey, I'm going to read this Carolyn Mace book? Um, you know, I maybe I just associated with the right people, but it was really it, it was it was really well supported. Um, I told my PI um, when I was doing my Ph.D., that I wanted to integrate, you know, studying the cerebrospinal fluid uh, at a Harvard lab. He was Howard Hughes investigator, Dr. Christopher Walsh, um, and studied brain development. And I told him, I said, you know, while while I'm doing this, my wife and I also want to fly out to Boulder, Colorado, you know, for four days every two and a half months to study biodynamic craniosacral therapists. And, you know, biodynamic craniosacral therapy. And he's like, great, you know, look, you're going to have to finish your PhD. And that was the end, you know, that was sort of like the end of the thing was, wow, you have to do a PhD, you know what I mean? Like here at Harvard. So you're, you might be, you might be extending your PhD, but it was sort of, but he gave me that opportunity, right. To do that. That's amazing. Um, and so I, I, I really found people who were, um, were, were supportive and, um, you know, I remember proposing him the, my PhD thesis and, um, you know, he was, he was more excited than, than anybody else. And he had done all this really intense research on brain development and how neurons travel in the brain. And, you know, nobody had really thought about the fluid and he's, yeah. you know, and it just, you know, the light bulb went off for both of us, um, and, you know, he really wanted me to find my PhD thesis. So, you know, I remember sending him an email and I, I thought it was a good email, but I left and I went to go get a cup of coffee. And then he went to come find me because he wanted to talk to me in person because he thought it was such a great idea. And he, you know, sort of, and he couldn't find me. And then he was frustrated that he couldn't find me. So he went from this like excited to like frustrated to then I came back. I sort of come back like strolling with this cup of coffee. He's like, where were you? I'm like, oh, shoot. Like, I just went downstairs to get a cup of coffee. He's like, I was looking for you everywhere, man. Like, what a great email. Yes, let's do it. How do you think we could do it? And I was like, well, you know, uh, and and uh, and then it, you know, just kind of took off from there. And there's a, there's a, there's still a, a my, my, the, 
postdoc that I worked with um, who has an entire lab and she works on the cerebrospinal fluid at, at Children's Hospital and, you know, in Boston. Um, and, and it's just, it, it, it's just a really remarkable sort of, sort of story. So I really, found, I really sort of, I think, surrounded myself with people who were supportive. Um, mm, nice. I, it wasn't like that initially, but it, it became that way. So it's sort of like as I started to ask the right questions of myself and sort of realign with my maybe purpose, I don't know, yep. um, those people sort of started appearing and, you know, it just sort of like magically, I think, happened. Um, and I still remember being, you know, I still remember struggling and there's all these people that show up in your life, right? But I still remember struggling in lab and just being really frustrated because that's what that's what like that's what a lot of research is. Uh, in the lab um, and you're struggling because you're, you know, I always say it's a, it's a practice on failure. And oh, tell me about it. <laughs> I was a biochemist and molecular biologist and I did the first PCR in Canada and it was freaking crazily failure after failure after failure. So hard. Not like the machines we have now. There you go. Yes. Right. You're, you're there handed, like you're using your hand, right? Okay. Now I got to transfer this. Now I got to transfer this. You this know, water like, bath, this temperature water bath. Oh my I gosh, everything degraded. Shoot. <laughs> um, so, you know, so I was super frustrated. I was only one in this like 26 person lab doing, you know, the CSF. And then, um, this medical student comes in, says, I read about, you know, I, I like read about your work and I want to, I want to work on, I want to work on the CSF. And I was like, really? Like, you, you like you want to help me yeah, yeah like let's work can we like can we work together can I help you like yeah. what do you need to... and it was like wow okay and we just like became a super you know we called it the CSF team and became a super Aww. team and then this postdoc joined and then we had a visiting professor from another lab join and and it just started growing slowly like that and you know you go from one person doing the work to all of a sudden four or five people doing the work and it and it starts to things start to move a little faster. So that was really cool too. Um, wow, that is great. And I just wanted to sh pause you for a moment just to share with people uh, your website, which is holdingspace.com. Love that. Holdingspace.com where you can find uh, Dr. Z here. And um, so tell us about the CSF. What what sorts of things uh, for people that are brand new, like, you know, what the heck is a CSF? Right? Like what 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 are some of your discoveries if you could share with us? Yeah, so let's just start out with, you know, the CSF is a clear fluid that bathes the, um, bathes your brain on the outside, your spinal cord. So imagine, um, you know, a fluid that is uh, between your skull and your brain um, and it all the way. So around your spinal cord in your spinal canal, your spinal cord is bathed in this fluid. Uh, and it goes all the way down to your sacrum. So we're all sitting, if you're sitting on your sacrum right now, um, you, we're all sitting on like a pool of cerebrospinal fluid. Um, it also, just anatomically, it, it's in the inside of our brain. So there's these uh, cavities or spaces called ventricles on the inside of our, on the inside of, the, of our brain. And this fluid is what bathes, uh, is what is inside these cavities. Um, and then it, in, in the middle of your spinal cord, so if you can imagine the spinal cord sort of like a, 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 a donut with a, uh, with a hole in the middle, um, the hole in the middle is filled with cerebrospinal fluid as well. Um, and so essentially, 
Um, you know, the way that we sort of learned about the cerebrospinal fluid was, yeah, it had some nutrients and some electrolytes and, and stuff like that. Um, but it was mostly providing buoyancy to the brain and the spinal cord. And it was sort of as a shock absorber. If you got hit, you know, if I hit my head. Right. That's like what that, we were told. It's a shock yeah. absorber. Yeah. <laughs> it would be like a fluid shock absorber between the brain and the skull. Um, and so therefore try to try to decrease the impact of any, um, you know, head injury or spine injury or anything like that. Um, and so, you know, so that's just, that's just anatomically over the last, so this research really took off, um, in about, you know, 2006, seven, eight, nine, uh, when, uh, myself and others really started sort of diving into the cerebrospinal fluid in terms of its functional capacity and what it did. And so if we take it back and look back embryologically, when we are developing in our mother's womb, um, initially, you know, we are a, we are a single layer sheet, like, like, a, a, like, 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 if you could imagine like a layered cake, right? We are that single layered cake. And that single layer cake becomes, let's say my favorite flavor is vanilla, right? Let's say the vanilla, then it becomes uh, 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 strawberry and chocolate. So that single layer cake becomes three layers. And that all those layers are actually bathed in fluid. Um, and there's a process that's uh, called neurulation when one of the layers starts to sort of invaginate and then what happens is that the layer invaginates and then the top of it fuses and this is the beginning of development in the embryo um and and on on the side that it invaginates that's what people know as the amniotic fluid so that's bathing the cells of that of those um of that sheet and it invaginates and then it folds up and it sort of creates this tube Right. And that, that tube is what's known as the neural tube. So that starts the process of creating this body plan and, um, and symmetry of right and left. We have a neural tube, we have a midline with the, with the, neural, the neural tube forming. We have a midline and then where the brain is forming, um, there's a lot of cells that migrate up to that area and start to develop the brain, et cetera, et cetera. Well, when we're that single layer sheet on the, the outside there, that's the amniotic fluid. When, when we fold in and close that body plan, now we're, we're closed. Inside, remember I said it was a, like, a, like a donut, right? Inside the space of the donut, that now differentiates and becomes cerebrospinal fluid. So in embryologic development, in all of us, this has happened to all of us, Right. When our body, first of all, our, our, all our cells are bathed in fluid initially, then as, as we form this body plan, which becomes the spinal cord in the brain, on the inside of this tube is the cerebrospinal fluid that differentiates itself from the amniotic fluid on the outside. Okay, That now is called cerebrospinal fluid. As the as we close and start to develop, there's more fluid then that comes into the brain, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but all the stem cells, what we learned from our research is if you can imagine sort of like a like a canal like this and this being fluid, all the stem cells are around and are bathed in this fluid in each one of us. 
So as your body needs to expand and grow, right? The stem cells need to decide, well, do I, do I, do I divide and make another stem cell or do I divide and then differentiate and become a neuron? Well, if it divides and stays as a, as a stem cell, then it stays close to the cerebrospinal fluid. If it actually divides and decides to become a neuron, it actually moves away from the cerebrospinal fluid and can differentiate into a neuron. And so, and so what we found is just embryologically that the cerebrospinal fluid was providing some sort of information to the developing brain for this stem, well, we called it a stem cell niche. So it provided an environment for the endogenous cells of the developing brain and spinal cord to remain as stem cells. And it was just through the cerebrospinal fluid. So then the question became, well, wow, what are the, this is an incredible fluid. We never really thought of it that way, et cetera, et cetera. What then are the molecules, right? Cause then we gotta like, in terms of science, we have to like deconstruct it and go into, you know, like uh, let's find the one molecule. And I'm saying, well, it's not one molecule. It's just, it's this fluid that's doing it. Um, but, you know, in terms of like getting a PhD or anything like you, you want to find one or two molecules that that have been, you know, sort of like that are instrumental in this in this process. And uh, and so we did a lot of studies and looked at, you know, um, and, and, and found some specific molecules that really changed with time and changed with developmental process of what was happening with the brain. Um, and, and we're able to sort of manipulate it in such a way to show that, yeah, the cerebrospinal fluid actually provides this information, whatever it is that's holding the information through uh, growth factors or hormones or molecules that, 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 that help retain the stem cell niche. Um, and then others were doing other work, like showing that the cerebrospinal fluid with movement of the cerebrospinal fluid in the brain we could uh, that 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 it could actually guide where the neurons were going to develop. So based on the movement of the fluid in the ventricles, that would actually direct where the stem cells would go, and then where the neurons would send their projections. Um, so really, really, really cool, cool studies. Um, after I left the lab, some people then. Um, uh, did research on it and showed that, you know, I, I'm not sure if you've, you've seen those studies where they take, um, they take elderly people and they, you know, or, or, or mice and, and, and they, 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 uh, they infuse young blood and they show that, you know, uh, antioxidant or antioxidants increase and, and, and people feel more vibrant and stuff like that. And now they're, it's actually happening as a, as a clinical practice here. Um, uh, but now they, you know, then they did the study of replacing sort of old CSF with new CSF, and they showed that with the with the with the embryonic CSF, you uh, you're increasing neurogenesis, so you're increasing the ability to make new neurons and 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 memory cells and things like that. Wow. Um, yeah. So so you know, some really neat stuff has has, has come out of it biologically. Um, and then in, in humans, the biggest finding was that contrary to what we initially thought, right? So this is sort of like, oh, it's housed in the ventricles. And then as, as, as we get more sensitive instruments, we can do, you know, we're doing studies on something else and we see, wait a second, 
um, we're actually seeing cerebrospinal fluid that's now in the brain, in the actual <laughs> tissue, right? Mm -hmm. So what we were taught in medical school, right, is that right. it's around the brain, it's in these ventricles, it's down the right. central canal of the spinal cord, and it's around the outside of the spinal cord, all the, but that it didn't get into the brain. And then what we discovered is actually, oh, wow. Well, now what happens is that we discovered that the cerebrospinal fluid can actually flow into the what we call the parenchyma or the tissue of the brain mm. and now you're going oh whoa when did this like when does this happen right well mm -hmm. just by looking at the contents of the cerebrospinal fluid even before these studies came out when we looked at all the molecules that were in the cerebrospinal fluid what was stunning to me was how much it looked like extracellular matrix so the fluid how much it looked like extracellular matrix, the extracellular matrix being like the tissue that is holding all of our cells together. Okay. Now the fluid, right? When we just analyzed the fluid, the fluid had molecules in there, had proteins in there that, that were exactly like the extracellular matrix. And so I called it, you know, it's sort of a less differentiated it's sort of like a liquid matrix. It's sort of like, oh, here's the liquid matrix. Then it goes into the physical matrix. And then you, we can use these things to make the cells and the tissues and stuff like that. But there's sort of this process of going from liquid to physical, liquid yes. back and back, right? So it's not, it's not just one way, it's back. It's sort of like oh. this morphing, you know, hey, I'm a liquid and now I can manifest into a physical entity, but I can also demanifest into the mm -hmm. liquid. Right. So I, I sort of I was like, oh, well, it's like, it's just like a liquid matrix, but it's in the middle of the brain. It's now it's in these it's in these ventricles. And so when they figured out that, oh, wow, the fluid is actually coming into the brain tissue itself, it made perfect sense because now it's actually making up the, the, the fluid that the extracellular matrix is being held in. And this fluid is now sort of traversing through the brain tissues and cleans out our brain. And it cleans out the brain of all its toxins that build up during the day. So the specific study was that they showed that there is this pulsatile nature of cerebrospinal fluid through the brain tissue when we sleep. And believe it or not, this was like in 2013 or something. This was like one of the first studies that showed why sleep was important. For sort of like oh we we figured out why sleep was important <laughs> it may actually clean out toxins and debris by some process that allowed what they, they called them sort of like you know gates and channels and stuff like that that mm -hmm. allowed these gates to open up and when the gates opened up during sleep that the fluid could now come into the brain tissue and you get this like pulsating sort of into the brain tissue and clean out all the fluids and then it'd be brought back into your venous sinuses and brought back into your liver and heart and gotten rid of you know you pee it out or you know it takes care of all the proteins um and so that was really cool right but anybody who knows any of this work is like well there's a lot of like people who don't need a lot of sleep so there's got to be other mechanisms by which this fluid can get into the can actually like traverse the brain right so um, 
So that's so that that just like makes perfect sense. So my hypothesis back in like 2014 was essentially almost any parasympathetic state or state that um, brought some sort of activation to the cerebrospinal fluid was going to open up these channels and we were going to get this circulation to occur. So mm -hmm. imagine just like any, you know, the river of our the river of our soul, the river of our body, the internal river that's flowing within us all. This fluid is moving and it moves, it just moves naturally. Okay, so just like any flowing river, some rivers move more quickly than others and some are more stagnant. And when they tend to be more stagnant, there tends to be a buildup of debris and, debris, and right. you know, uh, algae and insects and stuff like that. And so imagine that being the same for our fluid, our, our river within. Mm. That if we're not getting this river to flow with let's say just proper sleep if you're not doing anything else um that that you may actually be predisposed to building up toxins in your brain having increased likelihood of headaches migraines um, um neurodegenerative diseases dementia etc right so those neurofibrillary tangles possibly <laughs> exactly 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 um the amyloid plaques build up things like that so that then brings us into so then they wanted to see oh wow how does the cerebral spinal fluid work and how does it move and how does it actually you know how do we get this 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 fluid to move and so now what people are doing is um you know they, they we, we've studied now uh breath work for instance um they've studied um uh ultrasound um, so, you know, so directed energy frequencies yes. to the fluid. So imagine, okay. right? So now what we're talking about is, um, oh, there may be conditions that occur that the, when the fluid is stagnant, they tend to build up. So what we need to do is figure out ways of actually increasing the flow of this fluid. And it actually turns out that with inspiration and expiration and breathing techniques, we can actually increase the flow of this fluid. Mm. Um, very specific research has shown this. It's pretty cool. It, very, very, that is very cool. Very cool. Um, they've shown that ultrasound can do it. So directed ultrasound. Um, and they've shown that actually uh, exposing people to like flashing a grid of flashing lights has been able to do it. So now you're thinking about, okay, breath work. I'm looking at energy, right? It's not just going to be ultrasound. I guarantee you it's going to be a ton of different other energies. Yes. We've got to look at different light, right? We got to look at different light energies. We've got to look at different sound energies. Um, we got to look at movement, right? My own movement, dance, uh, yoga, uh, inverted postures, um, right. whatever it might be. We got to look at different, you know, breathing techniques and breath hold techniques and things like that and releasing the breath or holding on to the breath, all getting this fluid to flow. Ooh, I wonder whether Wim Hof has anything, you know, <laughs> whether they did any studies on it or related yeah, so to it. We actually just published a hypothesis paper that was just published on um, Wim Hof. Uh, we didn't we actually did. do what we were trying to do is generate interest to get funding, but we published a hypothesis paper specifically looking at that. Is mm. Wim Hof method activating the flow of this fluid and subsequently decreasing um, uh, neurodegenerative diseases? That would be, that, you know, that's sort of the, the, the hope for the study. Um, there is a group that has already looked at not necessarily the cerebrospinal fluid, but what they did is they looked at amyloid beta 
um, which is one of the proteins that builds up in Alzheimer's disease. And they looked at after doing breath work, can we so show that we're actually decreasing amyloid beta in the body? And the best way that they could actually do it was measuring amyloid beta in the blood. And they oh, okay. showed that after, um, after breath work, um, I forget like how long or, you know, for what length duration the breath, but that they actually showed decreased amyloid beta in the blood um, after wow. breath work. They haven't looked yet at the cerebrospinal fluid or, you know, scanning the brain or anything like that. But those are studies that, that are definitely, um, definitely coming up. So that's purely from a totally like, we would, if we want to call it right, scientific medical perspective. Oh, yeah. So we, yeah, right. there's other so consciousness stuff. Right. The other, <laughs> well, let me ask we you a couple things. <laughs> One of the things we didn't, I didn't hear about, I'll personalize it. I didn't hear about through medical school, which was forever ago, um, was about glymphatics. So is what you're talking about related to, or is the glymphatics of the brain? Yes. That's just that's just the system that it's it's it, it's called because it's created by the glial cells in the brain, and so instead of lymphatics, which right. you know from you know lymph drainage and and you know lymph massage and stuff like that, they they named it glymphatics, sort of uh, to 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 mimic the same thing but happening or similar thing but happening in the brain. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Well, and in you know we'll we'll kind of veer the conversation to the whole consciousness thing now we're doing this bridge and i'm being an md and an energy healer i tend to be kind of one of those bridges to try to explain things on both both realms um some of the messaging that i was getting around water was about that um that the, the structure of water the consciousness of water uh has uh, has a, a huge impact you know on us not just because it's in our bodies but throughout the whole world so just curious uh you know what your theories are what what you know what things you're looking at related to that um, yeah, so um, I, you know, I think you're right on the right track in essence because um, the cerebrospinal fluid is 99% water. So now, if you just kind of take everything that you know about water and possibly superimpose it onto the cerebrospinal fluid, um, now you have an entire you know you have an entire dif different system. So, for instance. Um, there are, you know, there's, there, there's many people who, um, are crystallizing water with certain, as water is exposed to certain energies and seeing that the right. crystalline formation, yeah, it changes. Um, Veda Austin has been really promoting this deeply and, and love her work. Um, there's Bach flower remedies and, 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 and um, and, and even, uh, homeopathy, for instance, um, that looks at, you know, um, uh, sort of the energetic quality of, um, of, 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 a, of a healing herb or plant or medicine uh, and how that information can actually be transmitted uh, through water. Um, you talked about Dr. Pollack in the fourth phase of water and creating this, um, this exclusion zone. Right. And um, I believe in one of his first experiments, he actually used infrared light to actually stimulate. Mm -hmm. So there was an energy that was used to induce the fourth phase, um, you know, infrared light. What other energies are do we know or not know 
that we are actually we are stimulated, you know, that we can be stimulated with or that we we're exposed to or that we can create a certain resonance within our own body to. Yes. Uh, yeah, to allow the cerebrospinal fluid to go into this fourth phase. Now, this hasn't been shown scientifically, but the hypotheses are there, right? They have to be. And so this is this is what this is what I'm getting into um, and, and, and seeing, you know, how can we how can we actually do this research on the cerebrospinal fluid? Um, um, and so, you know, so just imagine, right, that. Um, you know, it's 99% water. And now when I now when I talk about water, I go from, okay, the cerebrospinal fluid is this totally crystal clear water, let's say 99% water with growth factors and hormones and glucose in it and things like that in the middle of your brain, right? But as it, as the water, as that liquid component goes into the brain, and as that liquid component goes into the other tissues of the body, now, right, imagine this image of removing all of, um, all of the tissues from your body and just being a, a, a water person, like what that would look like. And it would, it would actually be exactly our structure. It would, it would actually be like, it would be our human, it would be the human body, right? So, so if there's any sort of, um, you know, if there's any sort of connection with water being able to transmit any energy, the cerebrospinal fluid is sort of in the perfect place being so, being, being 99% water. Um, being be, be, and being so connected to the brain and the spinal cord um, that you could get direct energy transfer from, let's say we call it source energy or any sort of energetic, any sort of energetic source that goes directly into the water of the cerebrospinal fluid. So we'll just call it the cerebrospinal fluid, but also the whole body. Okay. Um, and can transmit that energy directly that mm -hmm. we know, right? We know that the cerebrospinal fluid can transmit information just scientifically or medically um, involved in vibration of the yes. brain, revolved in movement of the brain, revolved in molecules of the brain and, 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 and involved in light transmission. So there are photoreceptors and there's, uh, chemical receptors and there's mechanical receptors that are perceiving what the fluid what the information in the fluid is holding yes so just taking one step less less delineated let's say or less uh differentiated and saying wow well if it's already transmitting this information about movement and molecules and vibration and light could it not be transmitting information about source energy or consciousness mm -hmm. um, or sort of that 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 that, that universal uh, uh source uh to all beings um could it not be actually a the fluid of transmission through the cerebrospinal fluid and then to all the fluid in the body as a way of transmitting that energy um and so that's sort of the main hypothesis 
Um, we've put a few experiments together for, you know, ions. Uh, we're looking at funding, essentially. Uh, unfortunately, the grant wasn't, um, wasn't approved, but we're still looking for, you know, ways of testing this hypothesis from a, you know, from a, from a, let's say, scientific perspective. Oh, um, I and, love it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I want to make two comments before you go on. This is absolutely fascinating. I'm totally nerding out here, Dr. Zapatera. <laughs> Um, number, number one, you talked earlier about, you know, the, the light, you know, the light and energy interacts with our body. We don't even need to have a necessarily a molecule. I just want to make that clear to people that like when the sunlight hits our skin, it gives a it, it's not a physical thing that goes into our bodies. But yet our bodies tan or make vitamin D, you know, like that's just an example. Um, there's another example is a little phototherapy patch that, you know, uh, helps to reflect the infrared light and helps us make more GHK copper peptide, which we already make. Just it helps us make it more efficiently. And then it helps us with activating stem cells. But it doesn't go through the bot like it doesn't go through the skin. It's just light reflecting. So it's so cool, you know, that we have these different uh, technologies and things like that, that we can now test. So I'm super excited about um, your research. And then when you talked about, you know, what would you, if you dissolved all the organs, right, what would you have left with water? I was going to say fascia <laughs> because I believe, you know, people say that that skin is the, the largest organ in the body. And I, I always say aside from water, I disagree. I think that fascia is the largest organ in the body because it is, it touches everything. And uh, when I have my conversations with source, oftentimes I, I end up with terminology that, you know, nobody uses, but for lack of a better term, fascial water. I'm like, okay, what's the big wink about fascial water? And I, it keeps giving me all these, you know, download, uh, intel intelligent downloads about the importance of the fascia and the fascial water and the information is actually store in like tons and tons and tons of information in the fascial water. And then I got the message also source codes being downloaded like this and through, uh, for lack of a better word, using an old, old Ayurvedic type word is the hara line, right? Like the power line that comes down through us. Um, which then communicates to all the different chakras and things like that. So, yes, I get the same message intuitively, you know, it's like it does send information and communicates to all the other waters, you know, of the body and all the other organs. So I, I'm just so excited that that you're doing this research, Dr. Zavatera. Yeah, thanks. Yep. Yep. And, and, you know, you mentioned the Hara or, you know, the self. The thing about the fourth phase of water is that um, is, you know, we see a lot of we see a lot of pictures of like, you know, self illuminated individuals. Right. And, 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 and to me, it's sort of like, there's always a two way highway. It's sort of like, we're, 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 we're always connected, but there's also an internal illumination that occurs that then connects up as well. And so, um, yes, good point. One of the, yeah, the hypotheses is essentially that when we're in that fourth phase of water, that um, that with the exclusion zone informing the negative and positive charge, that that's actually our internal battery, and that then creates the illumination from within. And so now there's this illumination from within. There's an illumination. There's an external illumination, and now it's just illuminated. Um, and 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 uh, and there are certain, let's say, you know, states or resonances that that may happen in. Um, and so, so, you know, so the hypothesis is, is, um, is, does that happen with the, with the water 
of the body going into the fourth phase, generating this internal battery that then mm. can, can create illumination. Um, so, you know, it's kind of cool. And then it I, is cool. I, I and we're, we're told we're being, you know, our light bodies, you know, we're, and, and a lot of it doesn't make sense to, you know, um, it's like, well, we're in this dense physical form. How could we be in our light body? Like, are we going to disappear? Are people going to not see us? Like, you know, what I mean? like our, you know, we're told our DNA is crystal and then our, we're actually a crystalline body. You know, so there's all these confusing terms going around in the esoteric realms. Uh, but a lot of the people sharing about this are not scientists. Right. So it's hard for somebody like me to translate that for people. Yeah. Like, what does that really mean? Yep. Yeah. So it's super interesting uh, what you have going on. And, and so you have that one study that or, or research that you would like to get funded, uh, which sounds really, really, really interesting. Do you have other projects that you're looking towards uh, working on related to? Yeah, well, we're looking at, um, well, I mean, one of the compounds that we're looking at specifically is DMT, endogenous DMT, so mm -hmm. dimethyltryptamine. Yep. Um, it's found in many, you know, for it's found in many uh, plants and animal species. It's been used for millennia um, as sort of an, an entheogen um, for spiritual uh, rituals, and um, it's found in like ayahuasca, um, the the toad. Uh, you know, it's like it, it's been used. Well, we actually have internal DMT, and its function is not yet known, but um, DMT has been found in high concentrations in the cerebrospinal fluid. Right, um, right. Also thought that it's uh, secreted via the pineal gland, and so what that we're would make sense. At, what's that? That would make sense. Yeah. So <laughs> what me, we're anyway. looking at is essentially, you know, trying to trying to get funding to look at um, what are the what is the role of endogenous DMT um, uh, in the body, and and we you know. People that have been doing these meditations or that have been activating their pineal gland or or have a relationship with DMT for it, for whatever reason um, have been working with it and know that there are certain, uh, you know, breathing techniques or pineal activation techniques that can actually, uh, you know, that you can increase the level of DMT. What we want to try to do is show is see, for instance, you were mentioned Wim Hof is can we do something like the Wim Hof breathing method and show that we can, um, uh, 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 you know, what does, and just ask the question, what happens to the endogenous DMT when you do uh, intense breath work? Um, and that's one of the molecules that you would expect to change fairly rapidly. Mm. Um, and, you know, some of the wow. studies that, they, that they've showed, like, well, people know about dopamine, but they don't really know about DMT, but DMT is actually present in the same concentrations in the brain as dopamine. Um, we just, hmm. you know, we don't know. We don't, <laughs> don't talk about people it. People don't talk about it, right? And so, um, so we're, uh, so um, I'm, I'm, I'm working with the with a group, DMT Quest, and we're looking at um, endogenous. You know, how do we how do we stimulate endogenous DMT? And again, the difficulty of a lot of this stuff is having a sensor that can actually detect what you're looking for. And the thing about DMT is, um, is because it's either in the cerebrospinal fluid or in the blood, um, uh, is that there are so, when you're trying to detect something that might be in such small quantities, sometimes it's pretty difficult to do, especially yes. when there's 
a ton of albumin or transthyretin or these other proteins that are so abundant that when you put them into your system, they essentially clog the system. And so what- They're so loud. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, so we're actually looking to develop assays that can specifically detect uh, DMT in really, really, really small quantities. Um, and so, you know, so first we need to detect the sort of, you know, create the instrument that can detect it in small quantities and then see, you know, what are the fluids that we have access to? Because just like you started the thing, not many people would put themselves up to a lumbar puncture, um, you know, for a, for, for a study on the cerebrospinal fluid. So can we get it from the blood? Um, can we get it from the urine? Uh, can we see changes in, in, in other body tissues? or um or fluids that are more easily accessible and that's really one of the challenges about the cerebrospinal fluid is it's real it's really difficult to access and <laughs> there's a lot of risks with just accessing it as opposed to just a venipuncture you know going to a phlebotomist and getting your blood drawn um and so you know we want to first do no harm so therefore right. you know that makes the studies that makes the studies really challenging but yeah absolutely and and, and every time we do any sort of invasive procedure, there can be an immediate energetic and biological change. And and so it's like, okay, well, is there DMT up or down because you just had a poke and it's painful, right? Exactly. Like it, it can exactly. totally exactly. shift it. It's so difficult to, exactly. to do now. If you pee in a cup, probably, you know, you're not going to get too emotional about that because it doesn't hurt. Uh, but same thing even with animal studies, right? Like I'm, I'm not necessarily pro-animal no, yeah, studies that are invasive. Right Absolutely. But, you know, it's like you, you can like they've shown in the studies where you know, the, the, the two groups had completely different results. And they found out that, you know, in the hidden camera that the one lab tech was petting, you know, petting the oh, rats. There you go. There you right. Go. <laughs> and, and they had completely different results. So uh, and then anyway. And, I love and it. Yeah. So it's really, really challenging. Now, I would imagine, okay, I'm nerding out here again. I'm imagining that that even if you could get access to the cerebral spinal fluid or some other thing, that if you could match the resonance, so instead of uh, actually measuring the biological material, but the level or, or amplitude of the resonance, so you have the resonance signature of the DMT that you're looking for, and then somehow being able to quantify the the loudness, if you yes. will, of that, then that would be kind of a less invasive Eat, potentially because the albumin, the other, the collagen, it's not, it's not that signature. So exactly. you would be able to, you know, kind of hone in on the, can you tell I'm a kind of a nerd? No, I love it. No, it's, I think that's the, that's exactly the right, <laughs> that's exactly the path. Um, and then, you know, for anybody that's asking, they're like, oh, well, have you ever sent Dr. Pollock to CSA? Uh, so we have actually been in communication with Dr. Pollock uh, many years ago. And, um, you know, we said, look, we'd love to test if the CSF can go into the fourth phase. And he said, okay, send me 300 milliliters of CSF. 300 and milliliters? Wow. Okay. <laughs> that's a lot. That's why. So you know, in, <laughs> wow. in, in you and I right now, we have 150 milliliters. <laughs> and so, um, uh, you know, would you, would we pull the CSF from, you know, and then who would actually go through that? Um, and so we have thought, like I've been in communication with, um, with like the UCLA CSF, um, that they have like a whole like CSF repository. Um, we at, at Harvard, we have a ton of CSF. Um, but again, it's like, 
vials of one milliliter, right? Yeah. So would we pool 300 mils, oh my gosh. Uh, 300 people mils of CSF? And, and then we don't, you know, we don't know the state that, 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 that it was collected in. Right. So there are a lot of just variables. And so we actually decided, with, you know, I'm like, look, there's no way, first of all, that we can get that from one person. Yeah. And um, it's just, you know, pooling it. Yeah. I just wouldn't trust the results from pooling it. And so, um, so that's, you know, so that's essentially, you know, that, that, that's where we were at, but he was, you know, he, he was pretty open to, 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 to testing it, um, which I think is, is, you know, was really cool, but we just weren't able to get the material. And then because it's human tissue, there's a whole bunch of like regulations with oh, human yes. tissues and crossing straight lines and his lab oh, yes. needs to be approved for human tissues and we need to be able to send it. And it, it just takes a lot of work to work with human tissues. Um, and, and, you know, we want to be as legit as possible. So, um, so we had, you know, so we haven't, we haven't been able to, to do that study. And again, until the technology comes down that we can do that study with literally like 50 microliters. And I'm not even mm, talking, that's I'm talking microliters. I'm talking not, not, not milliliters. I'm talking microliters. Wow. Um, you know, that's, that's the level that, 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 that you know we want to be able to do the studies because we want to be able to reproduce them et cetera, et cetera. so that's another thing that's that's kind of hampering it but um again n of one right be mm. your own be your own experimenter in essence uh with with some of these things with breath work or uh you know see how you feel internally and i think you know as you open up to the realm of the fluid and the realm of water as your awareness opens up to that, see what happens, see what your experience is and, and, and go with that um, because that's pretty powerful and that's purely authentic, right? And even, and don't like, to me, it's sort of like, I think a lot of people sort of like are recreating experiences that they've heard others have or read in a book or something like that. Um, you know, really question that, right? Is, did I just, did I just, well, you know, adopt it dr karen had this experience that had this experience so this is gonna happen to me and oh well right was that true was that true to you mm -hmm. was that really true was that authentically yours right um and that you know that to me is like that's the most profound because it's just sort of allowing the energy to work through you and um and 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 you know being that end of one being that authentic inqu in inquirer I love it. And and it's funny because I was just about, about to say, well, we should wrap up and words of wisdom. You just gave it. <laughs> yeah, awesome. no, yeah, for sure. Yeah, perfect. It. And go towards love. Like, yes. Whatever that means, you know, not like uh, romantic love or anything, <laughs> but the universal, you know, that universal love. Um, if you have any questions, you know, about it, you know, go read all love. Um, <laughs> but yes, like, you know, yes. Sort of the, opening the three yourself books. up to love. Uh, and we would love to have you back to talk about, you know, your three books for the kids and then the one you did with your your son as well. Uh, I am all one and all love because I just like I said, every time I say those three words and then start getting a vibration in my body. Um, and so your website for this, the research stuff is holdingspace.com or does that include all of the above? It includes everything. Okay. Um, it's links to the books, but they're found on Amazon as well. So. Um, and you know what we're looking for also through the website is if anybody has had any personal experiences with their own cerebrospinal fluid, 
uh, we're sort of collecting an experiential log of people that have connected with their cerebrospinal fluid. Send us your experience, right? Even if you're learning about it um, and just opening your awareness to it. That's really why you'll see, that's really why the website was started in the first place is just bringing people's awareness to the cerebrospinal fluid. So you could believe nothing that we said today. That's perfectly fine. Um, just know that there is this fluid and open your awareness to it. And that's it and see what happens uh, mm. and then send me your experience. Oh, that's interesting. So I was curious uh, whether you get a lot of, well, not a lot, but uh, of people who are cranial sacral therapists giving feedback yet? Not yet? Okay. I mean, we get people yeah. from all walks of life being like, I had a near-death experience and was, you know, this and this, and or, um, you know, I started uh, after an injury, you know, playing mm -hmm. uh, lacrosse, you know, I felt this and, and, you know, I just started looking it up and I found your, and it, and it just, it's like my experience with the way that you're describing it physically just makes such perfect sense. And, and, and this is, you know, this was my experience with this, you know, bubbling sensation of a, of a fluid inside my spine, yada, yada, yada. Mm, fascinating. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, it's interesting just paying attention. I know so some, you know, some therapists are very good with their, their, their hand, not good with their hands, but tra well trained so they can, they can feel the pulse of, say, you know, fascial fluid, and then they can feel the pulse of the CSF fluid, and they can feel the pulse of lymphatic fluid, and it's all slightly different. And so I'm not trained in that way, but I can, if I pay attention to the cerebral spinal fluid right now, I can feel a different quality there you go. of the pulse uh, as opposed to when I pay attention to the rest of the water in my body. So that's just fascinating. That's it. Yep. Yeah. Thank you so much. So Dr. Zapatera, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, love the work that you're doing. It's, it's so exciting. And, and um, uh, breakthroughs, I love to, you know, connect with you again, you know, talk about your other books and, uh, and the other work that you've been doing with your son and the other books, um, the I am all one and all love. I think I'm going to go to Amazon right now and get them for my nieces. <laughs> I'm always going to have an excuse to buy them consciousness related stuff. So uh, this is great. Um, uh, again, folks listening in, thank you so much for sharing your time with Dr. Zapatera and myself. Holdingspace.com is the website. Um, and feel free to share that link with other people you think might be interested or have a personal experience and would like to give some feedback. That would be absolutely fantastic. Again, Dr. Zapatera, thank you so much. And thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Big love. Big love.